The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, November 30th, 2019, and you are tuned into Season 3, Episode 47 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and debuting today on NDPW. Com. On this week's show, we're talking about Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, Marty Skrull, Filthy Tom, Le Champion, and some NXT. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you, this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news of this news from across professional Western world. Find the entire HDM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's getting ready to go watch a football game, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. I guess for the, you know, the grand debut, this beautiful new alliance, uh, the greatest new tag team to be sweeping the podcast game, debuting here on IndyPW.com. It's time for that big formal, big formal introduction from myself. So it's me, it's me. It's that R to the B to the V, Richard Bronson Vickery. And Jargo, I, I think, you know, through the open, I think we're already like an hour and a half into the show. Let's just wrap it up. Yeah, sounds good. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. No, look, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about this week. Um, we are recording here Saturday morning, shortly before Michigan versus Ohio State, the football game of all college football games, unless you live in Alabama. Um, Huckleberry, how you feeling? It's finally the day of the Buckeyes going to take care of business in the big house. I, I got to tell you, man, coming into this thing, I've been saying it for weeks. Uh, for those of you that might be listening to us for the, the first time, here at uh, HittingTheMarks.com, the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. We also, Jargo and I, come at you each and every midweek with hashtag HTM Sports. You know, we go uh, completely around the world. You think we talk a lot of pro wrestling. We cover about everything in the world of sports. It's, it's a, a great listen. Going about, what, 45, 60 minutes now on all the hottest news and all that. So you want to make sure you also check that out. But you know, as I've been saying for weeks now, Michigan's been scaring me. And it goes back to where they seem to have found themselves during that Notre Dame game. And right now, this is it for them. This is their championship. They are at home in the big house. They're playing for Harbaugh's ass. They're going up against a rookie head coach who's had this incredible run in his first year. But still, that embarrassment, if Harbaugh would go down here today, lose this game to that rookie head coach, see the Buckeyes go on undefeated into the Big Ten championship game, likely into the postseason, the, the college football playoffs. I mean, everything on the line here for Michigan. And then they got the woo movement behind them. Rick Flair's backing them. But with all that being said, as I sit here just a mere two hours before kickoff on Saturday morning, I am at a very calm, a very peaceful calm. And I, and I feel that resonating throughout the state of Ohio, the great state of the OHIO. We are very confident. We are ready to go up north to take on them dirty bastards and put them to sleep. You know, yesterday I watched uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes take care of business against the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the Heroes game. Um, Rick, I, I saw this graphic. 
And I'm going to catch a whole bunch of heat from our Michigan fans because we got plenty of Michigan fans who listen to this show. If they don't win today, the rivalry's over. Like, I don't even want to hear about this being a rivalry game anymore. Currently, the last 15 games, Ohio State is 14-1. and Like, Michigan, if this is going to be a rivalry, you have to win once in a while. Otherwise, you're just going out there and getting your ass kicked every year, like Nebraska against Iowa. I mean, that's like saying, you know, the comparison of Ohio State, if and when they get this thing done today, put us the rest because you are a distant second dog in this race, Michigan. I mean, it'd be like I'm saying that the Brooklyn Brawler is a great rival to Hulk Hogan. It'd be like saying that the Mets are a rival to the Yankees. Like, it's just not true. Like, I understand they're in New York. Yeah. Okay. Subway series and all that. As far as the country is concerned, it's not a rivalry. We just go out there and beat you around the city every twice in a while. Come on. Speaking of guys who need to get beat twice in a while, Huckleberry, I want to start things off with Seth Rollins. Um, Because months ago, you came to me and you were like, you mean this isn't the beginning of the Rollins heel turn? And I said, no. Watch how he's being presented on television. Because on television, he's been that rah-rah face of the company lead babyface guy. And I said, once it crosses over, once that Twitter personality comes into the ring, then we can talk about the Rollins heel turn. Well, they finally got the character to line up. Seth Rollins is back to being the douchebag that he is on Twitter. Huckleberry, I think it's safe to say we got our Rollins heel turn Monday night on Raw. Hey, I'm still sticking in my guns that this thing was a slow evolution. They were kind of teasing that to see where it would lead towards. And, you know, it's you. You're one of your favorite greatest characters of all time. And you look at his ascension into madness, the Joker. Yeah. Where you start believing your own hype. You start believing what you are doing is the righteous movement. You know, that the the big bad Batman, he's the villain. That you're trying to save society. And I think, you know, they really, they did a, I thought they did a great job in a, in a sense. Uh, right direction. Maybe they missed the mark. Didn't hit that mark quite, you know, right where they wanted to. But great direction. We really got that from Rollins. You know, he was there. I'm going to pick everyone up. This is me. You need to rally behind me. And you got a little of that tough love and you saw that start to backfire. And now that's really getting to him. Like what the hell's wrong with these people? You know, it's their issue. Not me. Yeah. And, and that's, what's going to make the character interesting because Seth Rollins feels that what he is doing is 100% exactly right. Very much like his Twitter character when he's going at guys like Will Ospreay and he wants to talk about how much money he's making. The other dynamic that's been brought into this was brought in last night on SmackDown. Rick, I understand you haven't had a chance to watch all of SmackDown yet, so you may have missed this, but there was a backstage interview with the Miz and Daniel Bryan where the Miz was trying to talk some sense into Daniel Bryan, and he brings up that everybody who faces the Fiend is going through this, whether it's Finn Balor, whether it's Seth Rollins, and SmackDown can't afford to lose Daniel Bryan. Rick, is this going to be part of the Fiend's character that no matter who he beats, they just turn heel? Well, they just, they they turn mad themselves. Uh, It's like this disease that consumes you. I think, you know, something that's really standing out here to me is we see this, you know, we can play it back to, to Finn Balor. It broke him. Look, you know, the, the persona that we're getting in NXT uh, as opposed to now, yeah, that's his first big development since a run in with the feed. And anyway, I think we're going to continue to see this trend. But the interesting dynamic is where does this lead the Miz? Is he in a sense, I mean, going all the way back to the, the greatest in the world tournament. And his you know, program with with Shane going through with WrestleMania and all that. 
is the Miz somehow after all these years is he evolving into like a modern people's champ like a voice of these people a voice of reason yeah well we've talked about it several times on the show where Miz has talked himself into a shoot he spent so long telling everybody that he was a main eventer that he was an a-lister that he was this Hollywood celebrity that eventually people started to believe him and now he has become the Miz this whole dynamic between Brian and Miz is incredibly deep and incredibly fascinating to me that like Miz of all people has been nominated by the locker room to go talk to Brian, because if anybody can get through to Brian, it's obviously got to be his arch enemy. And now with both of them on the baby face side of the roster, they're like, listen, I don't like you. You don't like me, but this show needs you. And He's probably right because I watched SmackDown last night and it was the longest two hour show of my life. It was awful. Well, you said you're 40 minutes of this thing dedicated towards the big dog and the king of cartoons. Uh, That absolutely blows me away. I didn't believe me. Even if I had been tuned in, I would have been tuned out during that. And And to continue to open these programs in that fashion before you're getting to this good stuff, the substance here. What you got going on with Daniel Bryan? What you got going on with the Miz? And obviously, anything that you're going to throw the fiend into is going to, you know, drop some interest. Uh, it, you're absolutely right here. They need these guys. They need to be featuring this program here. And as you were telling me too, you know, we've got the big bliss return. You look at that pop. Uh, they're focusing on the wrong areas here with SmackDown. Yeah. Um, the other big thing from SmackDown that actually has me intrigued is Sheamus is coming back, and he looks like the the 1-800 fella Sheamus. He, he's gotten rid of the mohawk. He's got the spiky hair thing back and just a traditional goatee. I was so worried that they were just going to make Sheamus look absolutely stupid in the way that vignette was presented because it's like a silhouette of Sheamus talking to you, and he's walking closer and closer to the camera. And then finally he reveals his face, and it's just like, oh, thank God. It's Sheamus. It's not like mohawk stupid-looking Sheamus. Uh, let's go back to Seth Rollins. To me, the Seth Rollins heel turn started the night before at Survivor Series when he pinned Mustafa Ali. Mustafa Ali comes out with the Chicago flag. Everybody's super happy to see him. He's in his hometown, and babyface Seth Rollins takes out Mustafa Ali. And I thought that was weird at the time, but I just read it up to WWE shitty booking. This was clearly the beginning of the heel turn. So Seth comes out Monday. Addresses the entire locker room. Randy Orton is going to live forever with his little jack-off motion that he made to Seth Rollins. That was absolutely fantastic. Dresses down the entire locker room with one great exception. Becky Lynch was not out there. Uh, Rick, how is this Seth Rollins heel turn, if at all, going to affect Becky Lynch? And how do you stop it from affecting Becky Lynch before it came? Well, I think, you know, at this point, you just need to keep them separate. And, you know, this is perfectly done by design here because i mean she would have to speak up she would have to be a vocal counterpart or get in there and agree with seth at this point i mean isn't it something as simple as becky just saying listen seth's doing his thing i'm doing my thing and we'll just leave it at that like at least address it and then ignore it but i think just ignoring it isn't that everybody's gonna kind of be like waiting for that shoe to drop I mean, maybe you, you keep that card in your pocket in case you need something. You need something to spark a great deal of interest. I think that would be, you know, would be that fire for you. 
Uh, so, you know, maybe you, you don't, you hold off on that. Let's let how things play out. Let's, let's listen to the audience here. Let's wait until the rumblings begin when they start, you know, the overwhelming masses, just not you, Jargo, start asking the question. What about Becky? What is, what are her viewpoints here? And I would be strict on her, you know, and this goes back, you know, for those of us listening here at hittingthemarks.com on indie pro wrestling, the last word on pro wrestling, you know, we also are over on, with the Hami media group and, you know, it's something there under, you know, our, our, our great leader, their Ben Hameen mentions this, that they need someone that has their, their thumb strictly on that button when it comes to social media. They need someone to be watching her to make sure that she doesn't go ruin anything or start mouthing off when somebody starts asking a question or that Seth doesn't. I mean, ultimately, he needs babysitting 100% of the time on social media uh, or just to shut down the thing. You know, I, just for the holidays here, we got some tablets for my nephews. You know, there's parental locks. They need to have those for Seth when it comes to social media. Yeah, uh, I know sure. you do with, you know, little Quinn, five years old, which five or six, Quinn. She just turned six. Just turned six. You got parental locks on what she can do on the Internet there. Uh, so they need that for Seth and they need someone watching Becky here to make sure that they don't play this card too soon. The only thing that Quinn wants to do on the Internet is watch this guy named Jack Septicai play Goat Simulator. It's the most ridiculous damn videos that you've ever seen in your life. Just absolutely absurd. Uh, let's talk about the authors of pain. Uh, Seth Rollins calls out the authors of pain and says, you know, you guys weren't even at Survivor Series. We could have used you last night. They were the only act that Seth Rollins put over in that entire monologue, which I thought was interesting as things would play out throughout the night. Uh, so now it seems that we're going to have Seth with the Authors of Pain. Do you like Seth Rollins as the mouthpiece and AOP as the muscle for dirty slimeball Seth Rollins? Yeah, and I want to see the next, you know, where this evolved towards. You know, what's the next step with these? What really popped me about this, going back all those years, it was remember the big talk. The hype was that Roman Reigns was going to align with the AOP and create that new that new Shield S faction. And now we've got the only other remaining piece of that Shield puzzle in Seth Rollins. He's leading the charge. Did you see this absurd report that this is a shot at Moxley? That Vince is pissed off at Moxley, and that's why he's doing this because the plan was supposed to be that Dean was supposed to return at the Rumble, and then they were going to reunite the Shield once again. And so this is really a shot at Moxley. Uh, is is this coming from any credibility source? I I don't even remember where it came from. It was one of those things I saw, and I was like, oh, some Mark in his basement thought that was a good idea. Um, so the way I'm kind of looking at this thing, if we're going to elevate AOP to a more main event kind of act alongside of Seth Rollins, it would make sense that they would go after the artist formerly known as War Machine for the Raw Tag Team Championships, which kind of by default aligns them with Kevin Owens, who is a gentleman that they have known traveling through the independent scene for years. Rick, I kind of like this is the TLC match. Give me the AOP with Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens and the artist formerly known as War Machine. Let Kevin Owens go be a Viking for a weekend. You know, I, I could absolutely get down because, you know, one of my thoughts when any faction like this comes together, it's to me, the most important thing is the focal point. Where are we supposed to be, you know, largely invested with? Now, as AOP, are they going to be on an even playing field? Or, or, you know, even somewhat close, or are we going to have, you know, a very distant, it's about Seth. These are just goons. He's, you know, the puppets, he's pulling all the strings, you know, it always, it always kills me when you get into a situation like that and they name the group after an individual. It always bothered me with team angle. You know, when you named the major brothers, the Ed Chad, 
Architects of pain. That's what we're going with. I'll, I'll go with that. And you know what? I, when you're talking about a TLC match, uh, I would love right now, and I'd like for Seth in this new this new power to establish that they've got some stroke, they've got some control. So Seth went to somebody, the powers that be, because you know we haven't had those present on red or blue. I'm not overly begging for that to come back, but I would like to know who a matchmaker is, uh, who is who's at the office at the other side of that door. When who's the William these. Regal? Yes. That, perfect. Who's my Jack Tunney? Yep. Who's my William Regal? I don't need a Stephanie or a Triple H or anything like that. It's overly present here. But uh, I would love for Seth to to establish that. It, you know, it isn't about me. I brought these guys here to be my allies. We are going to right the ship. We are going to take Raw from this laughing stock, this letdown, upset city. You know, the, the biggest upset outside of Kentucky and Duke that's happened in the last couple of weeks was Raw losing this. Rally that around him and say, I went and set this up. At TLC, you got a tag team championship match. There's belts are going to be sitting there. This is going to be tables, lanterns, and chairs. But, oh, yeah, it's going to be a six-man. I'm going to join you. I'm going to make sure that you guys grab those titles. You're going to be the champions. I'll be standing here as the righteous leader taking Raw forward. So kind of by de facto... This makes Kevin Owens the lead babyface on Monday Night Raw. It seems like we're going to get Randy Orton on the babyface side of the ledger. Seth Rollins shifts over to the other side, the heel side of the ledger. But Kevin Owens is sitting atop of that babyface pool. How do you feel about the Kevin Owens show as Monday Night Raw? I think I think the fans are going to be excited for this thing. Me personally... I want to let it play out a little bit more. I want to get more comfortable with Kevin because I just feel it's one of the things I'm not ready to trust them yet with him. Yeah. He's turned like what? Six times this year. Right. And it's all because of necessity. I mean, he's just found himself in in the wrong place, wrong time. And these predicaments where they've had to flip flop his booking. It, it really, that's it's, it, it kind of sucks for Kevin Owens, but it's a testament to how good he is at his craft. Yeah. That he's able to turn like that on the flip of a dime and give you what you need. He can fill in every role. I mean, it speaks to the brilliance, you know, of his, of his delivery. Like I said, you know, he is a master of his craft. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, as, as your lead heel, lead baby face, I can get behind that. Um, and I thought they did some other really good things on Monday night. Raw. I tell you what, coming out of this week, raw is in a much better place than I thought they were going to be. And SmackDown is in a much worse place than where I thought they were going to be. Uh, the other thing that we have to talk about when it comes to Seth Rollins turning heel has got to be CM Punk. I mean, clearly if CM Punk is going to come back for a WrestleMania match, the seeds have already been planted for Seth Rollins versus CM Punk. You obviously want a heel Seth Rollins against a babyface CM Punk. Nobody's going to boo CM Punk, especially against Seth Rollins at this point. Is this the beginning of the road to WrestleMania for Seth Rollins? Well, this you know this also brings to a, another concern for me for and getting overly invested. I know enjoy the ride here, but getting overly invested with someone like Kevin Owens. Yeah, because is he a stopgap just waiting to see if they can get that Punk movement going? I mean, he's gonna. You want to build up all this steam, this momentum with Seth and AOP running forward, but they're going to need people to go through. They got to mow through individuals to build themselves up before CM Punk comes riding in on that white horse. Well, one other thing they did do on Raw this week that I really, really liked was they brought back the squash match. Rick, we had four different squash matches on this show. We had AOP, Andrade, 
Buddy Murphy and Eric Rowan all getting under two minute wins, which on a three hour show may seem out of place, but they're out there and they're just beating people. That's exactly what we need in order to build stars on this show. Instead of doing the stupid 50-50 booking, let's actually build some squash matches. But you're looking at their squash matches, though. Wasn't it uh, Murphy that got Hardy? I mean, how how'd you feel about that one? I'm fine with it. It seems like Matt Hardy's trying to do something with his social media because, you know, it's Matt Hardy and that's what he does. Pictures of, like, Matt Hardy looking in a mirror and saying that something has to change. I mean, at this point... Shouldn't we be using Matt Hardy to put over talent like Buddy Murphy? Well, I see. I saw people just absolutely freaking out about this. And this is people just just jumping to these assertions. Uh, they're not fully think this through. Someone is the genius, the brilliance of a Matt Hardy. He absolutely knows everything he is doing out there. This is an absolute chess match for him. So every little move he is making is for a grander scheme to me. As you said, tie this into what he's got going on here on social media. you got to believe he's got something brewing. Yeah, and everything that we're going to see on television is just going to kind of play all into that. And he's got a bigger, you know, something, a bigger picture in mind. And believe me, when it, it, we've been hit with the track record, shouldn't we sit back and enjoy that? Yeah. Trust in Hardy. Well, and I mean, Matt's earned that right. I mean, with everything that he did reinventing himself, what now, three, four five times? I mean, he's not Chris Jericho, but he's absolutely up there. The eras of Hardy. No, absolutely. I mean, every time and I think, you know, what what's really separated them is that the opportunity that Jericho has been able to succeed in each of those reinventions of himself, where you'll see somebody like Hardy, for whatever reason it might be, he gets he hits that roadblock. Yeah. Or you know, he's got those extra speed bumps that are placed in front of him. And I don't think anybody knows what's going on with Jeff at this point, you know. So at, at least they're using Matt Hardy. And if we're gonna use Matt Hardy, I'm not opposed to using him to put young talent like Buddy Murphy over, you know? Seems logical. Absolutely. Uh Rey Mysterio claims the United States championship from AJ Styles after a fatal four-way to determine who was gonna face AJ between Ray, Ricochet, Drew, and Randy Orton. Thought Drew McIntyre absolutely had the line of the night when uh, it was suggesting, you know, we do a fatal four way. And Drew's like, I like my idea better, where I just get a title shot. Uh, I thought that I was absolutely hilarious. loved it. It, it. You talk about someone who has truly come into their own. We're talking about masters of their craft. Uh, Drew McIntyre, did you happen to see our, our good friend Adam Rivera? He was live in attendance for this thing and he was streaming the, the dark match. And oh, as, it was a cage match. Yeah, and well, and as they're they're setting up that the cage and all that, you got the crew out there, you know, practically working away. Uh, Drew had an open mic; it was his forum to hold that audience. Absolutely killed it. How in the hell this guy? You talk about lost opportunity. You, you always got to believe that there's there's some way somehow to right the ship, to get them moving in the right direction. But they had just, and this has been a complete botch. Since his debut, you know, re-debut for the red or blue, this is one of those things that irritates you. You know, I, I think it had to be about a year ago where I came on the show and I was like, Vince, you were right. You were right all along. Drew McIntyre is the future of the WWE. He's the chosen one. Just do something with him. And they haven't done anything with him all year. How has Drew McIntyre not been a champion yet? 
But you know, I think even as he is approaching the ring here, he makes a comment uh, about since his return, he hasn't been given championship opportunities. That in itself, you go look at the go look at the record. I know he's just it, he might be just a little south of the, of that 50-50 booking, but he has no marquee wins. He's one of those individuals that yeah, he looks like a million bucks, and they expect us to you know it just pop like crazy, jaws dropped mouth-watering, you know, it's that succulent steak. They expect us to get that excited every time. But when you beat it down to the ground, you turn it into hamburger, you turn it into mush, and we're not that excited for it anymore. The same thing could be said for Braun Strowman. We know you're not going to, you know, you push, 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 and then there's nothing. Samoa Joe falls into that same scenario. You can't just expect us to get excited because we know the potential we know they look like a million bucks. They represent professional wrestling to the, to the highest degree. But if you continue to just let us down in their booking, we're, we're not going to be there. We're not going to be invested. I, I did want to ask you, you know, I had it on my notes as well as I saw this on the run here. I, I felt I was a little turned off by, by Ray winning this thing and how this all played out. You know, seeing the antics that he went to the night before. I know he's the ultimate underdog. It's going to be the massacre of the miracle. He's got to pull out every stop. It was very personal. This is the family. This is blood. I understand that. But then to to still be defeated in that manner. And and then just to turn around 24 hours later, capture the secondary title. To me, the first thing is the degree of separation between the Universal Championship and now the United States Championship. And I understand there's other politics that come into play. I mean, this really screamed to me, you're going way back to WrestleMania four days. Okay, Macho, uh, Honky refuses to put the Intercontinental title on you. So we're going to give you the world title. Let us figure out a way to get this thing off Hogan. We'll get you into a program there. I, is this what this was, Jargo? Was this okay? You were, we did, we were going to have you go over to build towards something else. Brock squash that. As he did you. So here's the consolation prize. Yep, consolation prize. That's exactly what I thought it was. Um, And I think what the plan going forward has got to be is going to be Andrade versus Rey Mysterio for the U.S. title. As I'm I'm just kind of looking at the, the lay of the land and trying to mash people up against one another going forward for Monday Night Raw. That seems like the logical path that they're going to take. Um, I'm not sure as though I, I necessarily need to see that match again because I feel like we saw it, what, every other week for, what, three, four months? Yeah, I mean, you know, even going into last year at WrestleMania, we thought that was going to be one of those big matches, you know, the hair versus the mask. Yeah, and it was like in between injuries to both guys, it was like they could never quite get themselves going as far as the creative program goes. Kind of would have liked to see that for the Universal Championship. At least it would have raised Andrade's stock a bit. Uh, it seems as though AJ Styles versus Randy Orton is going to be a program going forward, which I can get behind, but I had kind of hoped that that was going to be the WrestleMania match, which then by process of elimination leaves Drew McIntyre versus Ricochet, which of all of these programs, that's the one I really want to see. Well, absolutely. So you're, you're okay with going back to the well again at WrestleMania with Orton and Styles if they're able to prolong this thing that long? Or do you see this being something just to get them through the Rumble? Well, I, that's what I think. I think they're doing it now. I would have liked to have seen this be the WrestleMania program, but it seems as though they're just going to go to it now, which well, and then I you guess. Kinda, that would have been that would have been a decent program going through because then you got that divide again. You know, everybody that's you know on the inside, inside of the bubble, like we are here, 
and you, you get those those real smarky indie side. Oh, this is just to give Randy Orton his his win back at WrestleMania, and it, so you get that little divide there. So it creates that interest. And out there, if we regularly talk about here on the show, if we got any first time listeners and all that. It's it's very pop unpopular opinion around these parts uh, when, when people they wanted to they want to defy and deny and battle us on this, but it, it is a hard truth. Randy Orton remains to be one of the most over mega stars, not a superstar, a mega star in this company. You go to any live event across this country, across this globe, and, and you'll see that firsthand. Randy Orton is the biggest star on Raw right now, like without any question to me. He's he's the face that you put on the marquee to sell tickets, right? Orton, Charlotte, Becky. Absolutely. Uh, and when you were talking about the programs moving forward here, a question I had asked going back to Monday was, what was the reasoning? What's the MO behind this? Is Randy really there? I mean, it could be two reasons. And you're talking about moving into AJ. And yeah, we've got that tension there. But this could be the Viper doing Viper things. Randy being Randy, it might just be... I think I've, I, you know what? I want that United States championship because Brock's gone. He's on hiatus here. I, I've got a better chance against Rey Mysterio by himself. So I'm going to position him as the champion. And then is the Viper waiting to strike? Or could this be a case of, you know what, Ray? I've been there. I know what it takes to stand the Brock Lesnar. And I've been beaten down by him. I want to give you a little bit of props. Let me help you out here. I did like how they got out of this finish and didn't have Ray, you know, the, the ultimate underdog, the miracle, get that clean pin. That brought that gap a little bit closer to have this justified by Randy's interference. Uh, that did a lot for me in moving the title towards Ray Mysterio. My only complaint is it kind of seems like people have forgotten that Ray Mysterio can actually work and like win matches for himself. Seems to be an awful lot of interference in like every Ray Mysterio match all of a sudden. It's almost as bad as his promos. It's like Rey Mysterio can't cut a promo without getting cut off 30 seconds into it. And it's been that way for years. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I guess the other big program that is underway now on Monday Night Raw has got to be your precious Shar Shar, Rick. Um, I, I put up the meme myself. You know, I'm going to tell my kids that this is Slimer for the picture of Charlotte from Monday Night. It seems as though we're going to get Asuka versus Charlotte as a singles program. Rick, what do you think? Do you like Charlotte in like a, a secondary kind of women's feud on Monday Night Raw? Oh, so hold on. You're that J.O. that put that meme up? Yep, I made it. Now, I, I've made one too. But it says, I'm going to tell my kids that I blow green loads. Yeah, I, I saw somebody say that I'm going to tell uh, my kids this is the Incredible Hulk. thought that one was pretty good too. You know, she's the alpha. Hey, you know what? How, how sexy was the, the She-Hulk? She had an incredible sex drive, too. You know, I mean, that's amazing. I said, that's another thing here with the precious charge. I mean, it's how good she is. And now she's going to turn that attention towards, you know, those. I, I don't even know what you what you do here. She I mean, this is so this good. Thumbs up. She's so good that she even pulled her hair back for Asuka so she could get misted. It was fucking ridiculous, dude. I don't know what is going on with Charlotte. I don't know what is wrong with Charlotte. I don't know what's been wrong with Charlotte. Most of 2019. She's just not that good right now. Her timing is off. She looks like crap in the ring. Her footwork is way off. She just, she hasn't looked good for most of 2019 to me. And Monday night was no exception. 
God, this greatly pains me to have to agree with you, Jargo, and to even point out a few things. This really goes back. When this began, the moment that I felt something was off with her, and I was worried about her direction, this goes back to the announcement of next year's WrestleMania in Tampa. And they have pos- they positioned her up there with Roman Reigns as one of the individuals that was the, the speaking, you know, the talking head, the representative of getting out there in that city, trying to get people excited. And it was at that point where I think she, she kind of crossed over into corporate Sharshar. And they started coaching her a little too much. And now that they've got all these, they're trying to feed her and just manipulate how she presents herself. I think in that sense, you know, she's trying to become too much of that. She's worried too much about her cosmetics. I mean, how many surgeries, how the change her physically. It's crazy. If you look at pictures of Charlotte and NXT versus pictures of Charlotte now. So, so you have all of that happening. You have the corporate hand trying to recreate you, remold you. That's, that's part of this thing. And, and I hate to deny anyone happiness of finding someone in life, but you have to look at how a lot of this correlates to when that she came out openly with her relationship with Andrade. Mm-hmm. You, you see her regularly where you didn't see that any off time she has. Now it seems, you know, she's out and skipping around on a beach, yep. you know, it's some exotic place, you know, down South of the border and all that, uh, where you didn't see that before, you know, where it seemed like she was dedicated to her craft and remaining to be that alpha that's going to carry this thing. And it seems like she's just so occupied in other directions, trying to tell other narratives that she's took a, a major step back in her in-ring work. And maybe it's because we look at Charlotte differently too, because, you know, like there's a lot of things that we see inside of women's wrestling, especially at the independent level where we're just like, it was too choreographed. It felt more like a dance, you know, and we see somebody like Charlotte and we look at her as so much higher than that, that when we start seeing the same exact things, it's just like, it's so pronounced. Every you talk about rinse and repeat Rollins. When's the last time you saw Charlotte do anything new? Like everything is just the same sequence over and over and over. It's like a Mad Lib fill in wrestler A, wrestler B. And it's you know that is more of a WWE style, especially for their stars there. And I get some of that because in that repetitiveness, you come you become comfortable, you feel safe, so you're not overly risking anything. And it, 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 I've always heard it compared to you know. Rollins, you know, we talk about that, as you just said, rinse and repeat Rollins. I mean, it's the same thing. You you know it right when the spots are going to happen. You know the setups there. But in many, you know, in the mind of Vince, and, I, and I've heard Cornette talk about this. I've heard Pritchard talk about this. He'll, you know, it's the way he explains it. When you go to see, uh, you know, Metallica, you want to hear their biggest hits. You don't want to hear, you know, some of this off the beat stuff or something weird or new that they've got going on. You, know, you, you want Enter Sandman. You, you want everything that you become familiar with. It just needs another gear. And somehow it seems as though Charlotte's lost it. Um, what do you think about them pushing Asuka as a singles again? Like, does anybody care at this point? Other than William Alicia? <laughs> and I think, uh, hey, William Alicia also joining us with the move to Indy, to NDPW.com. Uh, one of the great reporters. Also, I, I believe he's still going to remain with Last Word on Pro Wrestling. And he's always over on Facebook and the Hami Media Discussion Group. You get the latest news from Will. I don't even go to any other sheets. I just go right to Will. That's how good the guy is. Is this really about them getting into a singles program or are they using this thing to, to just fire up Charlotte going for 
the Grand Slam. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that actually makes sense. I My fear with Asuka and Charlotte is kind of the same thing that I have with AJ Styles and Randy Orton. I'm afraid that these feuds, that people are going to turn on Charlotte and they're going to cheer Asuka, and they're going to turn on Randy Orton and they're going to cheer AJ Styles. I mean, because Randy Orton, as much as he is a big star, when it comes to the quote-unquote vocal minority... He is everything about the WWE that they dislike. Like, And I've said many times, if you need a two-star match on your show, Randy Orton will go out there and give you a three-star match. If you need a four-star match on that show, Randy Orton will go out there and give you the same three-star match. That's Randy Orton. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he, and he knows his spot. He knows he's safe. You know, He's someone that is very comfortable in his setting. By comparison, you have AJ Styles, who is basically the ultimate independent IWC darling, right? Like, we all wanted AJ to finally make it to the big show. Everybody loves AJ Styles, even when he's a heel. I'm scared that AJ is going to be cheered over Orton. I'm scared that Asuka is going to be cheered over Charlotte. And this is just because they're not defining their characters very well. I like how you present that there. I think that'd be a, a tremendous conversation piece talking about the, the figureheads those the poster ch- child for indie wrestling what that represents you know immediately three come to my mind as you said they're aj styles daniel bryan cm punk yeah yeah that would represent that culture and i think you could make tremendous arguments for either of them yeah absolutely but Chef, let's talk a little bit of independent wrestling let's talk about ring of honor um and more specifically let's talk about the villain Marty Skrull. Rick, the villain has decided that he is going to stay in Ring of Honor through Final Battle December 13th. Um, It's going to be Marty and Flip Gordon taking on Bandito and Flamita. So Bandito back from injury. That's good to see. Of course, the newly debuting Flamita. Marty and Flip. Rick, this just seems poised for the write-off for Marty Skrull. Flip Gordon's going to take all the credit for it. What do you think? Is, is this the way that you want to see Marty go out? Absolutely. As, as you just said, Jared, I mean, this screams, this is the turn. This is what everyone, the speculation was always about that Flip's going to kind of, you know, just consume responsibility, control this alliance of theirs, uh, or just run Marty out of this thing. And when you see all these individuals that were a bit of a faction go their own ways, I, I, what really kills me about this situation there is it's going to seem so anticlimactic. Yeah, and it's the first match on the show. And this should have been this great payoff. Uh, and but we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. The interest here going into this final battle, where it doesn't, it doesn't have that vibe. It doesn't have that excitement that it should for a major event like this. This tremendous build. We we're lacking it up and down this card. But this is going to be a major reset for Ring of Honor. What is the direction? What is 2020 going to hold? That's the excitement final battle to see who's going to emerge, who are going to be this this new crop, these new styles that are going to be represented. Where is this company going to go? Is a very crowded second, you know, second tier dance card. Ring of Honor's kind of been left behind. They need to make some major moves. You proposed it a couple of weeks ago. I'm still sold on this thing. If they have got Marty's ear, if they are still negotiating, if they can hold on enough to get him to work through December, through final battle, throw everything you can at this kid. Go back to your major mistake going back to Madison Square Garden. Right that wrong. 
and build around Marty. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, let's assume that Marty is leaving Ring of Honor. The the two grand possibilities, I mean, I would love to see him do New Japan, but the, the stronger possibilities would either be AEW or NXT. So I kind of sat down and I kind of thought about it. If you're going to debut Marty in AEW, you have to present him against Cody, right? I, you, you bring Marty in. This is Cody's dead friend. He's been pretending that he's dead for over a year. Marty's pissed off about it. Of course, MJF just turned on Cody. MJF had basically taken over the Marty Skrull role. Marty comes in against Cody. Like the the, the framework and the the seeds have been planted for over a year. That's the logical step, right? You bring him in as a heel, the villain Marty Skrull versus the American Nightmare. It, my, you know, my worry there is, is it seems like is that's their go-to card though for these introductions is going to Cody. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we talk. And, about and, and where does that begin to to wear thin? You know, another issue that I would have with that, I, I love Marty when he is at his worst, when he is the villain. Is that going to be this AEW crowd? We have put them over time and time again for playing along with the narrative, the buying in. But how much is too much? Anywhere he goes, people are going to want to support and get behind Marty's role. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a real challenge because I don't think you want to present him as a babyface. Of course, if he goes into NXT, the logical program, Marty Skrull versus Adam Cole, which has been, what, three, four years in the making? Because that's how Adam Cole died in being the elite and on the independent scene was with Marty Skrull coming in. But, Rick, I kind of want to see Marty Skrull versus Johnny Gargano. Like, that's the match I really want to see if Marty goes to NXT. Yeah, I think in either case, you're going to have time to tell those. Uh, I think NXT is the right choice for him. Not to go back to, you know, getting in line and maybe, you know, kind of floundering as we've seen Hangman Page because he isn't one of those executives. Uh, he's just there with the group. He's become that the sidekick, the little brother to everything that's going on, where Marty could go right into NXT, make an immediate impact, no pun intended. Going to pull fans. That would be a major signing for NXT if they could get this thing done. On the other side of that, it's going to be very important and be very interesting to watch what actually the deal is in place for him. Uh, you got to believe WWE, they're going to want to do a, a long-term lockdown. If oh, I'm yeah. Marty, I'm looking at a five-year cap before I could have my options to get back out there. Is Marty one of those guys that if he goes to NXT, you can't change it. He is the villain Marty Skrull. Like you can't pull what you did with Cameron Grimes, Trevor Lee. Right? You you can't you can't do a Damian Priest. You can't give him a WWE gimmick. He's the villain Marty Skrull. Absolutely. And I think and they in WWE we get on them all the time about this. But sometimes they get it right. You know, they didn't do anything with Undisputed Era. They let them go be them. They, they've seen some winners with those personas. Kevin Owens, you know, they allowed that to happen there. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, but that was all before AEW. Have we seen anybody come in that got to keep their name since AEW launched? Well, I mean, how many people have really come in and began making, you know, making strides, uh, really joining? And I guess... Since the rumblings of AEW, I guess, when, you know, all all in, uh, we've seen some people joining that, that they've switched. You know what? I mean, you got people like Keith Lee. I mean, he wasn't with those guys, 
Yeah. Uh, but he was signed since then. And I think it's it's a matter of the situation, the timing. You got to talk things through. And a lot of people just assume regularly that that oh, WWE's forcing this. They have to make you theirs. It's you have to become their product. Well, a lot of this comes back to contracts well, and, and trademarks. It's trademarks and copyrights. They don't want you making a name and making a gimmick inside the WWE and then taking it to the independent scene. I mean, that, that's why we have John Moxley in AEW and not Dean Ambrose. Absolutely. And you have to look at the name value, too. Even back then, a John Moxley, what was his actual appeal value to the masses? It wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, there was, those, you know, obviously here, I mean, I was at his first match. I, I had never heard of John Moxley until after Dean Ambrose had debuted. Okay, and maybe, maybe in passing you heard about something about from Combat Zone Wrestling about a guy that's crazy. But, I mean, it wasn't like someone you're clamoring like, oh, I got to go find this on the Internet. I mean, I hope they come to my town. Or someone like Marty Scroll has more of that appeal, that broader appeal. And I'm not saying... Every, you know, all the masses are just going to pop. Holy shit, Marty Scroll. I mean, it's not like you're bringing Lex Luger over from, you know, to show up on Nitro or anything like that. But for that core audience, that target demo for NXT, where their target should be, absolutely the majority know who the hell Marty Scroll is. Yeah, I, I don't think you could get away with that one. Also on the card for final battle, Jeff Cobb versus Dan Maff. That'll be an interesting matchup. Briscoes versus Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham. Haskins versus Bully Ray in a street fight. Shane Taylor versus Dragon Lee for the ROH TV Championship. Matt Taven versus Vinny Marcellia in the Fall of the Kingdom. And then Roosh versus PCO for the ROH World Championship. I'm with you, man. I, if, if there's any way ROH can keep Marty Skrull, Roosh basically just murders PCO. Marty comes out to make the save for PCO. Roosh challenges him to a match. Marty takes the title. Absolutely. That's how I go into 2020 if I'm Ring of Honor. Well, and let's go back to something that's also kind of interesting. You're talking about how this match is laid out, how the card is laid out. If they do indeed open up with Marty in that tag, that gives you enough time to kind of forget about him. Yeah. Well, Marty has said it'll be the first match on the show. Okay. Uh, so it gives you time, you know, to kind of forget him out of sight, out of mind. Uh, he comes out to make this save. Roosh is looking to finally kill, you know, the unkillable, the, the monster of Dr. Frankenstein. He's looking to put him away. Marty comes to make the save. Roosh is, you know, he's, he's pissed. You got in my business, dude. Makes the challenge. Go back and actually, as we had put over in the past years, we'd laid this thing out. It's almost like uh, WrestleMania 9. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like almost to a T. Minus, you know, the fact that, that, that Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart weren't necessarily in a faction together. You know. Right. Well, and that this wouldn't suck. <laughs> and there's that. Yeah. Um, speaking of big turns, let's talk a little bit about MLW. Uh, Rick, they had their big Thanksgiving edition, which I got to say I was a little disappointed in. Um, and I say that only because it just felt like another episode of Fusion. Like, it didn't feel like this was a special show. And really, the only thing worth talking about is Ross Von Erich versus Jacob Fatu for the MLW World Heavyweight Championship. Of course, it was supposed to be Marshall Von Erich taking on Fatu. But Marshall found himself attacked backstage. Nobody knows who does it. So Ross steps up, fulfills the contract. Because, you know, of course, those Von Erich boys got to stick together. He's cornered by filthy Tom Lawler. This match completely gets away from him. Like, there's so much inside of this match that just makes absolutely no sense. Like, why would Jacob Fatu attack the referee for absolutely no apparent reason other than he's Jacob Fatu? 
But this was all building to the Filthy Tom Lawler turn on Ross Von Erich. And now it's also clear that Filthy Tom probably took out Marshall Von Erich, too. Rick, this story is so convoluted. Like, this is a big angle for MLW, and I feel like it just didn't hit at all. Uh, absolutely. This got into a situation. Well, let me. I want to go back to one of your first statement there. And I had this conversation going back to their first pay-per-view with MSG uh, when we did the review for this thing. And it, he was he was disappointed that it, it didn't have that big event feel, that big marquee, especially going to pay-per-view. And, and I'll grant it, you, you kind of had that same situation, that same vibe here. My defense for them is they're still trying to familiarize an audience with their presentation, with their product. So they don't want to, you know, tinker with things a little too much. And also, I mean, let's look at budgets. Oh, yeah, clear. You know, a mid-major here. It's where, where are you really investing at? This went out and locked down two incredible talents that this company desperately needed to hold on to in Filthy Time Waller and the champion in Fatu. You know, I, I'd rather be dedicating my funds in that direction than, you know, trying to get a few pops for, for a pay-per-view sale for a set. So that, that makes sense to me here. Uh, but inside is we're getting into this main event where the developments, the story is what really should have grabbed us. And it seemed like they just overbooked this thing. Yeah, just overthought it all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. So we go forward and... I'm happy that you brought up Filthy re-signing with MLW because that has been officially announced now. We also know Jacob Fatu locked under contract with MLW. Why do you put them both on the heel side of the ledger? Like, this just, this turn for Filthy Tom just doesn't really resonate with me at all. Like, I think, I think it was just time for something new with him. I don't know. I just... I'm kind of I'm struggling to see where MLW is going. Like at least when I watch AEW, I feel like there's a creative direction. Monday Night Raw laid out a path for where they're going to go up until the Royal Rumble. NXT is fantastic at it. I thought NXT was a fantastic show this week. MLW just kind of feels they feel closer to ROH, man, where it's like what the hell is happening on this show? Because like and, and I agree with you where, as far as the budget and everything goes, but you can still make it feel like a big show. You can give me like backstage promos on a green screen with a special graphic that would feel different for MLW. It would feel like it was a much bigger deal. Like it just, it felt like another episode of fusion. Well, I'd say if, uh, if you want to make it feel bigger and better and you really want to grab an attention, just give me more Casey Lennox. Yeah, that'll, that'll certainly grab my attention, if nothing else. Let's shift. Let's talk about AEW. And, and, Rick, we don't really talk about Dark a whole lot on this show, but I have to bring it up this week because I thought there was an interesting development on there. Trent Beretta gets Pentagon Jr., right? And, and we've seen this a couple of times now where Trent is being protected inside of the booking, and we can't necessarily understand why. And then Wednesday on Dynamite, we saw the Lucha Bros versus the Best Friends. Trent gets the pinfall on Phoenix. And as I'm watching Dark, I'm listening to Sean Spears on commentary. And he is putting over Trent huge, saying that he's even going to have to show this match to Tully. Rick, what do you think about breaking up the Best Friends already and having Trent align with Sean Spears and Tully? Well, it- this goes back, you know, a couple of weeks ago where I thought, was it a match against Pac? Yeah. That I was I was a little concerned, you know, that Trent got a little too much in. 
and then it went a little too long. And you you did you were you were right and correct to me. That was more about a dominance. You know, it was a dominant performance from Pac. But to get him out there to get that exposure, is this the direction? Were they laying those seeds then? You know, are are we getting the build to this four horseman? I mean, could there, could it potentially be? I remember going back months ago. You and I discussed this either you know here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast or Mondays in the locker room. We had this conversation. And we threw it out there for the listeners, you know, to, to get involved in this debate, building a four horsemen-esque alliance, a faction inside of AEW. I think we were talking about this before the company officially launched. Yeah. And we had, and I, I, it was one of the two of us that threw the proposal, why not just make the best friends as a part of that, to be the tag team inside of there? Yeah, which I'm, I'm still liking. I like that a lot. My question is, do you do that with Chucky e. T or do you break up the best friends? I guess that's really the key question here. I'd really like to see those two remain together. And I and I think you're going to get you get a great payoff to immediately establish them in that turn. And just by them just whooping the shit out of uh, Cassidy. Out Orange, of Orange Cassidy. Cassidy. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, other nominees for the Horsemen. Hangman Page has left the elite. It seems like a good time for Hangman to go sit underneath of Tully Blanchard's learning tree. I like that one a lot. Well, and I wonder if we're talking horseman esque. I mean, do we go to do we hold so true to that blueprint where you need those different roles? Like you've got the tag team, you have the enforcer, you need to have that personality like a flair, or can they redefine what this is about? Yeah. You know, because I mean, because does does Spears himself, does he have that over-the-top presence? I'm a huge fan of it. You're going all the way back to OVW. I thought this guy had stardom state, you know, stamped all over his ass. Uh, I, I'm surprised it took this long to figure this thing out. I was all about him back then. I think he, you know, he's got that tremendous presence now. He's got something incredible going, the chairman and all that. But it would be a very different feel and vibe than a nature boy if he was that front man. Yeah, Hangman would kind of be in that Arn Anderson kind of role. I w- is, at least that's how I would see it. Um, and then as far as the fourth person goes, a lot of people are immediately going to thank MJF, but I like what he's got going on kind of off on the other side, right? Like I could see Marty Skrull aligning with MJF. I could get behind that. Um, but as far as my horseman goes, my number four is going to be Kip Sabian. I really like Kip Sabian. It gives him some kind of a direction, and you get Penelope Ford in the deal, and I think that's a bonus. Yeah, I mean, you look, you look at the horsemen. You know, they always had the women around, the yep. baby doll or anybody that was there with you know with flair, uh, and that's what sells too. I mean, you get that beautiful look, and Penelope Ford's one of the most beautiful women in professional wrestling, uh, and she's going to give you that appeal. She's going to be able to get some spots, get people excited there. Uh, absolutely, I, I could I could support that if they wouldn't bring both of the best friends in. You know, if they just went with with Trent and needed to you know plug in another position there. I want another faction inside of AEW already, Rick. We got to see Awesome Kong make her debut on Dark this past week, and she came out to this bitchin' Tron along with Brandy that was just labeled the Nightmare Family. I want to see Brandy Rhodes put together an entire faction of the Nightmare Family. And just be like the talking point for people that need talkers. Maybe like a Jimmy Havoc. Like, you know, people that would actually fit into that nightmare kind of world. I Actually, yeah. And I would like that too, where you could cross over. Where I thought you were going to go with just like a women's faction. Uh, but have Brandy represent all, you know, all creeds. 
anybody. And, and let's let's remember what Brandy's point is right now. It's people that were bullied, that were singled out, that no matter what, they're on the outskirts. There's fringe. You know, people said you don't belong here, you don't fit. And that could be people of all different looks and styles. I mean, because someone that looks at somebody like Brandy and you're like, well, how could anyone bully? I mean, look at you. You have everything in the world. Uh, but sometimes, you know, the higher you sit on that roost, you know, the more scrutiny that you're under. And, and that's the message that she's trying to relay here. And that's the reason. And obviously, you talk about somebody like Kong. I mean, you look at a woman of that size, that magnitude, how she's presented. Yeah, that that male audience is always going to scrutinize what you got going on. Take somebody like a Jimmy Havoc who is misunderstood and likely mistreated growing up until he found this popularity in wrestling. I think that would be a great fit. Yeah, just kind of those darker characters, you know. I think I think Brandy would be really, really good for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Dynamite uh, because, Rick, I didn't like this show at all. I know you didn't like this show at all. This is what I like to call a maintenance show. Like, they did a whole lot on this show. It just wasn't necessarily the most entertaining show to watch. It was just kind of like, you know, if you're watching a, a eight-episode season of some TV show, this was like episode four. Yeah, it took me three times to get through this thing. Even Wednesday night, I got through that first hour. right as, you know, it was about to kind of switch over. And I was like, I'm done. I just threw my hands up. And you're right. They were getting things done. It just wasn't anything that was holding me to the product. And I went back again, and I started from the beginning, and I made it a little into the second hour. And I was like, you know what? I just need to go back and watch this thing in pieces. Yeah. Yeah, just it was a maintenance show. You, we can't expect them to go out there and put on the best show that you've ever seen every Wednesday night. Like, it, that's just not logical or feasible. You know? So well, it's the same, you know, in the world of sports. I mean, you're, it's, a, it's, it's a marathon. Oh, yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some weeks you go out there and you're like, where did this team come from? Who the hell are these guys? This is not, you know, it was, the Saints have been giving, giving us scares here. Where weeks ago, we're like, they're unstoppable. They're, they're the best team in the league. Yep. And, you know, every, you know, the last... You know, two out of the last three weeks, I mean, sure, they, they've been getting some wins. And going back to when Atlanta got their number and then almost saw it again here on Thanksgiving, you know, who are these Saints? And you're going to have that every now and then. Everyone's not going to be a home run, but if they can accomplish little things and, and, you know, put a couple bricks in that wall to build wherever you're going each and every time, that's ultimately what's going to work. And one of the biggest problems with this show was the 17 minute La Celebration from Chris Jericho. This thing was way too long. It drug on way too long. Rick, the, like I felt like I was watching the opening of Monday night raw. <laughs> and again, I think this was something where Jericho's had such tremendous success with these kind of presentations in the past, that he just got too involved in this one. Yeah. It, it was too festival of friendship without the payoff. Uh, of course, later yeah. on in the night, we would see Jericho tap out Scorpio Sky. Match only goes 13 minutes. I was hoping they'd get a little bit more time. Um, and then we got to see John Moxley. So it seems as though going forward, it's going to be Moxley versus Jericho, which actually ties into the new rankings that are out. John Moxley, your new number one contender with a record of 3-0-1. Oh, Rick, it just seems too soon to go to Moxley versus Jericho for me. Yeah, I'm with you 100% here. I'd like to see a little more transition. And as you see how these 
these major events of these, their marquee events are kind of spaced out, you know, it just feels like, okay, how long are we going to get out of this thing? How involved are we going to get into this, into this program? Do you, do you do this at like bash at the beach? Like, cause that's what six weeks. That's what I was assuming. Yeah. That's what I was assuming. Yeah. I, maybe, um, isn't the Christmas show in Jacksonville? Aren't they doing like a homecoming show? Maybe they do it there too. Do you give that away on dynamite? I, I could see them prolonging that. Maybe that's a selling point at both shows. And, and, you know, that's another question here as we have, you know, it's about these rankings, the standings, your wins. I, I mean, does that, is that going to set up too much of one and dones? Okay. The champion has somehow retained. We're moving on to the next one. Who's next in line or is it, you know, hook or crook, you know, they got that win. It's unfinished business. We're going to give you another opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, evidently, that's up to Tony Khan's discretion because they, they have kind of brought him into the universe, even though we haven't seen him on TV, because he's the one that told Moxley that that match with Kenny was going to be unsanctioned. Absolutely. Best friends versus the Lucha Bros. Trent pins Phoenix. Of course, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about Dark. Uh, we also saw Cody. Cody goes out, basically wins a squash match gets on the microphone, says that he wants MJF. Like, this thing has been boiling ever since full gear. It's the first time that we're going to hear Cody talk. And they decide then that they're going to debut the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. Rick, this just seemed incredibly mistimed and a little bit tone deaf. This kind of reminded me of the Dark Order debut, where they debuted and everybody's like, who the fuck is that? I mean, yeah, you've got the Blade and the Butcher here. They, they could have went with the Crickets. Yeah, because I mean that's that's what you got. The fart in church, and you know it's probably you know going back to you know the, the rich history uh, here in Southern Ohio, getting to see Pepper Parks quite a bit of him back in the day in HWA, and you know thinking this this guy's got it all. I mean, destined for greatness. Great to see him get these opportunities here, uh, but yeah, this presentation kind of hit or miss. So let me ask you this. Uh, this butcher and blade is this, and then you got the bunny in there. This is is this reference to the the gangs in New York? Um, I assume. I don't okay, know. Okay, that's man. what I was assuming. But I didn't know the tie-in. I mean, it seemed kind of cool. I mean, you got the dead rabbit and right. with the butcher and the blade. Yeah, I mean, like I like Pepper Parks, I like Andy Williams, and I like Allie. I I'm not sure that I like the bunny without Rosemary. That just seems like it kind of falls on deaf ears, and you can't really tell people that story. Um. But there's I, only one bunny in pro wrestling. That's that's what it gets me here. Peter. Um, yes. I just I feel like these guys would have been much better suited with vignettes than coming up through the ring, like in front of a live crowd. Just did not work at all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let us let us get invested. Let us get you know know who they are here. Give us a tease of how that's going to happen. We don't know when or who. But how? So that there's that excitement in the air, you know, that that vibe, that, that sense that something special is about to happen to erupt the crowd. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Marty, because clearly, like, they've been laying seeds for Cody versus Marty for a very, very long time. That one at least makes sense, and people would know who Marty is. People would pop. Do we have to debut everybody opposite of Cody? Like, I realize Cody is the biggest star in the company not named Chris Jericho, but... Do we have to debut everybody against Cody? Uh, you know, that's what I was saying. You know, if you were mentioning bringing him in with Cody, that's what I'm saying. You know, that's one of the keys that I had. You know, my issues would be obviously 
the pop for Marty, that they're going to want to cheer him. Can you establish him as the heel? What does that do for Cody? But it seems like everybody is, okay, I'm going to Cody. MJF defeats Hangman Page to win the Dynamite Dozen. He even does so with the worst-looking crossroads that you've ever seen. Of course, I'm sure that you know MJF did that on purpose, just to let you know how awful a move it is. Um, then we get the interaction with Diamond Dallas Page. Rick, I thought this felt incredibly underwhelming. Like I thought this was going to be cool, and it just fell flat. Uh, absolutely, you know, just something. It, it probably a million bucks in in creative. Yeah. And it just doesn't translate. Yeah. So your new rankings are out. Moxley, the number one contender, followed by Pac at number two, Kenny at number three with a four and two record. Cody still on the rankings, even though he can't challenge for the championship at four, one and one and debuting MJF number five at two and one. These rankings are like, I like the rankings. I like what they're doing with the rankings, but these records are still just too small to even care. Santana and Ortiz remain atop the tag team ranks at three and one, followed by number two, the Young Bucks. Rick, have the Young Bucks even looked good at all inside of AEW to you, let alone to be the number two team in the company? You know, it's another question, too, of, you know, is are they. I know you got the wins and the losses, but it because of the popularity, because of the notoriety. Uh, but I think they've done a good job of not taking too much of that spotlight. I like how this division has kind of been evened out. Things have been distributed around. Uh, I feel like I'm there's different areas, directions I could go in, and I'm going to as again we'll say you know be invested in that. Also at number three with a record of four and three is the best friends who should be number two because their wins have been much better than the young bucks. Strength of competition, right? Number four, the Lucha Bros, and number five, Private Party. Looking at the women's division, Hikaru Shida at number one, Emi Sakura number two with a one-and-one one record. And that one's just baffling to me. Britt Baker all the way down to number three with a record of three and two. Nyla Rose at four with a record of two and three. And number five, B Priestley, who I think is like one-and-one. One. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, kind of, kind of dumb. Let's talk about NXT as we wrap things up this week. Rick, we got to see another celebration this week on NXT. They open up with a giant celebration because they won more games. Woohoo! Aren't they happy? They won more games. So Monday Night Raw starts with the roster being berated. Wednesday Night SmackDown starts with a celebration. And Friday Night, Roman Reigns comes out and says, SmackDown Live won more games. No, no, you didn't. Survivor Series. Or Survivor Series. Yeah, but because evidently in Roman Reigns' mind, the only match that actually mattered was the men's Survivor Series match. This celebration thing on NXT was just dumb. If you're going to do something here, and you know what I'm saying, you know, everyone last week, oh, red, the red brand, the red team, they've fallen. It was all about the upset. I said, why, why aren't we talking about the underdogs, the win of the century, NXT taking care of business? I was expecting something like this. Oh, did they miss the mark on this one here? Oh, way too overindulgent. Did absolutely nothing for me. Uh, Roman Reigns did say one other thing on SmackDown that I thought was kind of funny when he said that, you know, SmackDown had won Survivor Series and NXT champ broke out. And you know what Roman Reigns said, Rick? It doesn't matter if it's NXT, if it's Raw or SmackDown, it's all WWE. Thanks. Thanks for just telling us that we're all jackasses yeah. for buying into you know the last month of everything that happened here. 
Uh, and, and pretty much, let's can we put that in the can? for Just save it for the year when next year Michael Cole is screaming, it's the only time of year, the first ever. This is what we're going to And can we just sub in where Roman reminds us that it's all part of the same piece of shit? Yeah, it's, I was just like, I can't believe he fucking said that. I can't believe he said that. Uh, it, you know, to go back real quick to, to celebration with NXT, you know what I would have really loved to have seen there is almost have Triple H come out there. You, you know, he's he's riding back into Rome, the, the conquering leader. You know, he's the one. He, he's been presenting himself to the, the masses of the universe that he is the, the Caesar, that he is, this is his empire that he has created. He's going to have this grand festival and have Regal come out and said, no, I canceled all of that. You guys had your fun. I'm proud of this crew and what they've done, but it's about it's time to get back to NXT business. Paul, you created this. You've, you've built a, a, a tremendous empire, a great land setting, an, an empire here, but you've entrusted me to watch over it and rule it. Yeah. And I'm re and you know restaking my authority to get NXT back to NXT. Yeah, because that's, that's what I—that's what I—that's what I really would have loved. I'm with you because I feel like Regal has been so undercut throughout the entire month of November. Uh, Undisputed Era comes out and they put a kibosh on the celebration and the true baby faces that they are. Um, Rick, I absolutely love this. Undisputed Era basically coming out and telling everybody how much, yeah, we won, but you know, you guys still suck, and the only ones that really matter is us because we have all the gold. Adam Cole on a microphone is just fantastic. God, I wish that guy was taller. This, of course, leads to Ciampa issuing his challenge to Adam Cole and saying that there's nobody standing in between him and Adam Cole, which would then cue the fallen prince, Finn Balor, who comes out and stands directly between Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole and says, well, it looks like I'm in your way. And we have our main event for the night outside of the overindulgent celebration. I thought the way that this little love triangle is being put together was just fantastic. You know, and it was a matter of getting here. We just had to get through the Survivor Series. Survive Survivor Series. Now we're going to go full gear here with, I guess, no pun intended again there, with the with the program everybody's wanting to see. This is the direction. So the actual show gets kicked off with Keith Lee and Dominic Dickhead challenging Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Rick, I'm not exactly sure what happened. Uh, Bobby Fish gets thrown over the top rope to the floor, and I thought that he had injured his knee. The w- reports that I'm getting is they were afraid that Bobby Fish may have a concussion, that the entire bump just kind of knocked him loopy, that he's absolutely fine. He was up and walking around backstage. But so they flex Roderick Strong into this matchup thanks to the Freebird rule. So evidently the Freebird rule is in fact a thing inside of NXT and it applies to the Undisputed Era. Roderick Strong, for somebody who was not supposed to be in that match, came in and just freaking killed it. He even wrestled like he was Bobby Fish. Well, you think about this. I mean, is this this could come into play as a, a, just a, a stroke of genius for Undisputed Era. Absolutely. Take, take, take challengers. They're set for you know, opponents X and X last minute, boom, we're switching something out on you. Yep. You got to be prepared for any of us at any time. Yep. I did like the way that that entire thing was set up. And then later on in the show, we would see Ciampa versus Balor, which they said was for the first time ever. I can't hardly believe that that's true, but 
I have to take it because I don't think I've ever seen Prince Devitt versus Tommaso Ciampa. If it happened, somebody YouTube it, send it over to me. Well, but they didn't. They didn't say that. They said it was first time ever for for those personas. Oh well, that that <laughs> and, and, that's and, and true. you know, and you know, with a, with a WWE twist, a first time in an NXT ring. You know, because we we could get another first time for this thing in a red ring in a couple years. Oh God. Yeah, if they're going to actually like tout people's accolades and they want NXT presented on like the same level, maybe they should include NXT accolades when they're talking about them on Raw and SmackDown. That was something I noticed this week. Um, What did you think of Balor versus Ciampa? Because I thought it was okay. I expect more. Yeah, well, no, I think it was a good teaser. Okay, you know what? I I saw the cleavage. No, I want the nipples. Yeah. I want to start working my way down. You know, that's that's what it is there. The big story, of course. It seems as though like Adam Cole thought that Finn Balor was going to join the Undisputed Era, and instead Finn Balor kicked him in the head. (laughs) Just like he did Johnny Gargano. So now we have a nice little love triangle set up. We have Tommaso Ciampa, who wants his, you know, Goldie back. And we have Adam Cole, who has legal custody of Goldie and wants to hang on to her. And then we have the longest reigning NXT champion in history, returning to NXT and he wants to reclaim his title. I like the way this thing's being put together, man. Oh, absolutely. I love the chaos. And that's what we've got here. You've got multiple people coming up saying, Hey, it's a matter of time too, before uh, we hear the dreams music and he's going to come join this little dance. Well, and there's Johnny failure, you know, I don't know what's going on with Johnny Gargano, but he, he's kind of been missing here for gosh, it's been what eight weeks. Well, you know what? He, he chose the perfect time to transition into Johnny Watches Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, if we ever had this much wrestling available throughout the week, I mean, what are we? There's only like one night where we don't have a day, a, a show debuting. Yeah. Between Johnny Watches Wrestling and taking Candace to Disney, his, his schedule is full. Let's talk about Candace LeRae. She took on Dakota Kai on this show, and I thought the way this thing was put together was fantastic. It was actually Dakota Kai taking on Tegan Knox's pissed off big sister. Yeah. Get you some, Candace. like the way this was presented. Um, Dakota Kai just making friends everywhere. She's pissed off Candice LeRae. She's pissed off Tegan Knox. It would seem that she has now pissed off Rhea Ripley twice. This this can't possibly end well for Dakota Kai. Dakota Kai has got to make some friends. Uh, absolutely. But you know what? I love the attitude from her. Absolutely love it. And I know there was some knocks, you know, when she, when she made that move. Uh, I, I think this is incredible. I do like Rhea Ripley coming out to make the save for Candace before Dakota could completely go off the rails. Uh, I think it, we got to somehow involve Rhea Ripley and her disappointment in Dakota Kai inside of this entire story. But I don't know how you do that without Rhea Ripley just beating the shit out of Dakota Kai. And I don't think we want to do that right now. Well, I think because you've got other things in between there, so it can be they can distance themselves. And she's kind of hit and run right now, so you can hold off a little bit. Got a nice little vignette about Cameron Grimes, of course, the former Trevor Lee. Rick, what do you think of Cameron Grimes? Is this a character that you think you can get behind inside of NXT? Because I really like Trevor Lee. I see a huge ceiling for this kid, but this gimmick just isn't working. Yeah, something with it. it, it they just got to find a right direction. It's just right now, my you know, my feeling with him now is tremendous mid Carter, and, and that's it. So I, I wonder with you know the current persona what that ceiling is now if he's able to break free from those shackles and really you know soar on his own uh, such a tremendous talent especially in that nxt environment 
The two stars that raised their stock the highest throughout Survivor Series, Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley, finally come face to face later on on this show. Baszler gloating about how she beat both Becky Lynch and Bailey at the same time. And Rhea Ripley says, yeah, but you haven't beaten me. Um, the setup seems pretty copy, pretty paste. Baszler says, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I've heard this before. And Rick, I'm kind of wondering, has Shayna Baszler heard this before? Has Rhea Ripley lost since she came to NXT? Because I don't remember her losing. And if we're just going to put Rhea Ripley on this big winning streak and we're going to get Rhea Ripley super hot and then she's going to challenge Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship and it's going to seem like it's time for Shayna Baszler to lose that championship and then Baszler's going to go out there and choke a bitch out. We have seen this story over and over and over. Is it finally time for this to happen? Because as I was watching this, I just got the feeling Baszler's going to choke this bitch out. Well, I mean, eventually it's got to happen, correct? And I think that what's what's more telling there is you look at the stock and how each of those have skyrocketed over you know the big weekend that was. That was War Games. That was Survivor Series. That was you know throughout this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. I mean, their stock has never been higher enough for each of them. I believe that if it's ever if it's ever been closer to happening, it's got to be. It, it's never was this close that they realize shit. Shayna's good. We need her on one of these other brands here. We can insert Ripley. She's good enough to hold that division. But we've had this conversation over and over and over. I think the the difference though is in the transition to Rhea. It's not really about reinventing that entire division. You can kind of keep going in that same direction, that same powerful champion, uh, instead of you know one of your underdog fighting from under babies. I just feel like they keep pushing Ripley, and everything is going right for Rhea Ripley inside of the NXT universe. And every time Shayna Baszler comes anywhere near her, things go wrong. Like War Games, she's the one that takes the loss. Yeah, she wins at Survivor Series, and then Becky Lynch cuts her legs out from underneath of her. It's not the first time we've seen Rhea Ripley come stepping up to Shayna Baszler and tell her that she's going to beat her. And every time it seems like Ripley is coming out on the top of these exchanges, when it comes down to that singles match and Shayna Baszler locks in the clutch and chokes her out, I fucking told you so. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then be sure that you visit the Roar Network over at thegorillaposition.com where they tell the stories, pro wrestling storytellers. Visit lastwordonprowrestling.com for all the latest news inside the world of professional wrestling. And if you crave even more independent wrestling pro wrestling, independent wrestling pro wrestling, yeah, because that's a thing. They cover that over at our friends at ndpw.com. Get the latest from our boy Carlos and his dedicated staff. Also, be sure that you catch Rick and I this morning Monday inside the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com as we try to make some sense out of the weekend and what's coming up later in the week. Probably get some New Japan in there too. Until then, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo RBV. How do the Mason Blue find you? Well, I want to throw a, a few more shout outs here. You know, obviously, Ryan and his team over at the GorillaPosition.com. You got Jamie and his entire crew over at Last Word on Pro Wrestling. And yes, 
a huge and major thank you to our new partner, uh, the, the mastermind, the, the brilliance, the, the godfather, the Dr. Frankenstein over at NDPW, Carlos Estrada. He has done an amazing job there reaching out, networking, getting his press credentials. He has put together a tremendous team that's going to be bringing you the best news from around, and he has allowed us this platform, the Hitting the Marks pro wrestling by, or the, just our, the hitting marks podcast but we're going to bring our pro wrestling content so it's just not jargo and i that are coming over we're bringing turnbuckle talk we've got the wrestle podcast coming with us we've got the pro wrestling yeah wrestling like it should be the pro wrestling reflection and when we get them to show up to work the pw hustle and this is a, a cast a band of characters that is so diverse so many interesting takes so much insight that you're going to get here from our platform uh check out all of their shows again Thank you, NDPW. Also want to do a major shout out tonight following following this big win for the OHIO. I'm heading over to the Northern Wrestling Federation's 24th anniversary show. 24 years that this indie promotion's been running the Indiana, the Ohio, Kentucky area. Uh, but a highlight of this evening, two very good friends of mine, two very talented individuals known as the Eds. There's some backwoods, hillbillies. They're going into the Hall of Fame. So a bunch of us are there going to celebrate. Congratulations to them. For all things pro wrestling, you can also jump on Facebook. Head on over to the Honey Media Discussion Group. So much going on there weekly. And you can keep up with me, Rick Vickery, the RBV, across all social media platforms at the real RBV. I typically pull for whoever's playing Ohio State, but today I want the Buckeyes to win. End this rivalry with Michigan once and for all. And I got to see Ohio State versus LSU. We'll talk to you on Monday over at hackerhameen.podbean.com inside the locker room for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya! Crunch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up.
fuck your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy.